You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, uh, Jesus has surprises for us in the parables. That, that's always what a parable is. It's always a surprise. And in fact, I think there's two surprises in the parable of the feast for us this morning. The first surprise is that the people who are invited that should be there are not there. And the second surprise is who does show up. People who never should be invited to a place like this. Now, we can understand it in some ways. If we just imagine a feast was being held by some famous Denverite, uh, maybe the mayor, maybe the, maybe the governor is having a feast, and he invites all the famous people down to his governor's palace, and the food is ready. I mean, this is the kind of thing where people are to, they're to show up in their limos, and they're to walk on the red carpet. They're, they're in tuxedos or evening gowns. Everyone whose fancy is supposed to be there. But as the invitations go out, the, the, the return, the, the, the people who are invited are sending back their excuses, saying, I, I can't make it. I'm not coming. I don't, I don't want to be there. I got better things to do. And one after another, all the people that are, in fact, everybody that's invited refuses to come. I don't know. I mean, if you can imagine throwing a party and nobody shows up. They're supposed to be there. But they're not. Now, that's the first surprise. I mean, especially when you're invited to something fancy like this, you go to it. But they refuse. So then the host of the meal, the king we know from the Gospel of Matthew, sends out his servants down into the streets and says, bring everybody in, anyone you can find. Bring them in here. The people walking around, the people sitting around, the poor and the sick. In fact, this this is how it goes. Uh, It says, the servant came and showed the Lord these things that nobody was coming. So the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. So that all these people come into the, into the feast, people who are, who can't even walk, people who can't even see, people who can't afford the food, they're all in there. But there's still a few open seats. And so the master, and it seems like the master does this on purpose so that there would not be a single open seat in case someone who was invited changed their mind and wanted to come. The master's, the, the servant says there's still room. And the Lord says to the servant, go out to the highways, to the hedges, compel the people to come in so that my house would be full. So that this feast is full of all sorts of people that you would never expect to be in a feast like this. This feast is full of the homeless, of the sick, the destitute, of the people who are down and out, the people on the edges. They are there rejoicing in the generosity and the kindness, feasting on food that they've never tasted before, drinking from drink that they could never even imagine drinking. They're sitting at the table of the Lord. Now this parable, and in this parable, Jesus is teaching us, he's picking up on a theme that runs throughout the entirety of the Bible, and it is this, that the Lord casts down the proud and the Lord lifts up the humble. And the reason why Jesus has this parable for us this morning is because he knows that we need it. We are, by nature, proud. Our flesh 
your sinful flesh is proud. Uh, it, it is the, the native theological uh, uh, thought of our old Adam is to be proud of ourselves, to lift ourselves up, to extol our works. That's what the people who were invited did. Verse 18 of the text, they all with one consent began to make excuses. The first said, I've bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. Have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. Have me excused. Another said, I've gotten married. I can't, I can't make it. These guys cannot let go of their works. Now, there's nothing wrong with buying a field or selling a field and going to inspect it. There's nothing wrong with getting new oxen and going to to test them. There's nothing wrong with that at all. There's nothing wrong with getting married. These guys, in fact, if the invitation to the feast hadn't come, these men would have been great, outstanding citizens. (laughs) They would have been the kind of boys that you're that their moms and dads would be proud of. They were hard-working. They were providing for their families. They were doing what was right. But then the invitation comes, and the invitation to the feast sets two things against one another. It sets works against rest. It sets effort against reception. It sets labor against receiving. And this is what happens in God's kingdom. I mean, it's good. It is good for all of us to do good works and serve our neighbor. It is good for all of us to try to be the best that we can be for the sake of our families and the people around us. It's good for us, as we interact with one another, to be driven by a, uh, by a urgency of love, by the need of our neighbor to go and to serve and do and, and, to, and to speak and to bless and to, and to accomplish all the things that we can possibly accomplish. But when the invitation to the feast comes, it is now time to lay down our works, to put them to the side, to come and receive what the Lord wants to give. You see, in the kingdom of God, works and faith are set against each other. In in the kingdom of a man, by the way, works and faith go together. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, they stand in opposition. So that that the scriptures say that it's by grace that we are saved, through faith, and that is not of works. Or, Paul says in Romans 4, 5, uh, to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted as righteousness. Now, here, here is what Jesus is getting at for us, for each one of us, is that we do not want to lay down our works. We, we, do, not want to, we do not want to give up the argument that by our own efforts, by our own deeds, by the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we think, the things that we accomplish, by all of these, we are making ourselves ready for the kingdom of God. By all of these, we are somehow earning his happiness and his smile. All of us want to cling to our works. It, it, it is part of our sinful flesh. It's the, it's the chief idolatry that marks the old Adam. And Jesus is saying that if you cling to your works, you do not enter into the feast. If you claim a righteousness of your own, you do not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
if you want to be your own Savior, you will fail. Now, part of this has to do with what we were talking about last week, about how all of us with our lives are, are making a case to justify our own existence. And in fact, we, I think we can build on that because the way that the old Adam is trying to present, uh, to, to, to kind of storm into heaven and to make the case that our good works make us worthy to God, it, it's, a, it's kind of a twofold case. At least I, I'm thinking about it this way, and so you guys can tell me if this is helpful or not. There is, on the one hand, all of, the, all of our actions, the things that we say, the things that we do, even in some ways the things that we think, all the things that we accomplish. And we're trying by all of this to make the case of our goodness. But there's a second place that that conversation happens, and it's in the conscience. Now, the conscience does not act. The conscience is not like your will. The conscience is, in fact, the part of you that observes the things that you do. It watches your own actions, and it's making a judgment about those actions. Was that thing that I did good or evil? Was that thing that I said uh, uh, a nice thing or a wicked thing? The conscience, in, in other words, is not acting, but it's, but it's making those judgments. If you want to think about it like this, it's, the conscience is like the uh, home plate umpire. So they're not, the, the, the umpire in a baseball game is not playing the game. In fact, if the ball, is this true, if the ball hits the umpire... It's a dead ball, and the play stops. I mean, the umpire is purposely not part of the game, and yet the things that he does really influence how the game goes, right? Every single pitch that, is come, that comes in, the umpire says, that's a ball, or that's a strike, or, you know, whatever. So the umpire is there making a judgment. The same thing is true of your conscience. Your conscience is constantly making a judgment. Oh, that thing that I did, that was good. Or, oh, that thing that I did, that was bad. Or that thing that was done to me, that was a sin. Or that thing that was done to me was a good work. In other words, your conscience is not acting, but your conscience is judging all of the things that are, act, or that are happening around you. And what starts to happen is we start to build a case in our own... Con- now, this is the tendency of all of us. We start to build the case in the conscience of our own goodness. So, we do something and we know it's a sin, but in the conscience we say, well okay, it was a sin, but it wasn't that bad because they deserved it, or whatever. Or, we would managed to do a good work, and in the conscience, it might not be that good of a work, but in the conscience, we amplify it. And we say, wow, look at what a fantastic person I am. Uh, and so we're, we're building the case in the conscience of our own righteousness. We're, we're amplifying our own works, and we're minimizing our own sin. And that's simply the natural conversation that happens in our own heart. Now, The parable that Jesus has is teaching us that that conversation of the conscience is a misuse of your conscience. Because the Lord intends for you to use your conscience not to make the case of your own righteousness, but rather to repent. To to repent of your sin. To acknowledge your sin to the Lord. Not not to make an excuse for the things that you've done wrong, but to let it... uh, but to confess it to the Lord and to receive His forgiveness so that we don't minimize our sin in the conscience, but rather we confess our sin. And neither do we maximize our good works in the conscience. In fact, we know that our good works have no place in the conscience, that they don't deserve to be there. 
that good works serve the neighbor, but good works do not help when it comes to standing before God. And so, and so while the natural man wants to bring into the conscience all of its good works and to throw out all of its sins, the Christian conscience is the opposite. We're throwing out all of our good works and we're saying, look, here I am, a poor, miserable sinner. Unless God is mercy on me, I have nothing at all. Do you see the difference? So that, so that Jesus is putting before us in this parable these two ways. Those who are clinging to their own works and the result is that they are cast out of the feast and those who have no works to cling to at all who are brought in. Jesus, in other words, is teaching us both with our lives but most especially with our consciences to repent. To repent. To say to the Lord Jesus that we are sinners. That all our works are like filthy rags before Him. That we have done and fought and said nothing of His gifts and His mercy and His kindness. That if it were not for that mercy, we would be cast off forever. That we, because of our sins, have deserved his wrath and his punishment. And that we know it. That we know that there is a feast prepared and that we should not taste of it. We know there is a table set and that we should not be invited. That we are not those who are clinging to our own works and our own efforts when it comes to stand before God, but are pleading only the grace of Christ and the blood of Jesus, and who rejoice now that we are invited to the feast that we do not deserve. And we are called to the table that we have not earned a place for. Someone else is supposed to be there, but the Lord has called you in by the gospel and enlightened you with his gifts, completely undeserved. And that He has given to us who are completely unworthy. He has given to us the privilege to come to His feast. To sit at His table. To taste His goodness. To remember, to remember His name. And to be part of His kingdom. In fact, In fact, our Lord Jesus has not only called us to feast at the table, He's called us to be children in the home. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. So that now the table is our table. And the feast is the food of our Father. And the company is our Lord Jesus Christ. And his people. Dear saints, we are, we are wired for pride. But there is no place for it in the Lord's kingdom. The people, look, the people that taste of his food are those who are poor and maimed and lame and blind. Those who are sinners. Who are unworthy. They taste the supper. They feast by faith on the goodness of the Lord. And these come at last to everlasting life. You come at last to everlasting life. 
So we rejoice today. <laughs> we rejoice that, that the Lord has set, a, has set a table for us. And we rejoice that, that we have been compelled by the Holy Spirit to come in. We rejoice that we have not earned or deserved a seat at this table, but the Lord has made a way for us to partake of it by His own death and resurrection and the forgiveness of our sins. And we rejoice that this table is only a foretaste of the feast to come. Because all of us who belong to Christ will feast together forever with Him in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain man who made a great supper. We have come to the kingdom of heaven. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.